Top four items on today's Cigar Dave show. Number one, South Carolina football mascot renamed after me. Number two, hot dogs on the grill, yes, but a hot dog popsicle? Number three, the People's Republic of California changes their tune in one week. And number four, we will conduct our National Football League season preview with football expert Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. The Cigar Dave Show is presented by Gurkha, the world's finest cigars, including the new Gurkha Revenant. The five-country fusion of exceptionally aged tobaccos will immediately jumpstart your senses for a cigar journey that only Gurkha can deliver. Offered in both Corojo, Maduro, and now Connecticut presentations. Fire up a new Gurkha Revenant today. Visit GurkhaCigars.com and by Davidoff of Geneva and their Avo portfolio of cigars, including the Avo Heritage, crafted through centuries of traditions. Avo Heritage was developed for the cigar connoisseur seeking a fuller-bodied cigar with strength, complexity, and impeccable smoothness. Savor every note of the spice-laden Avo Heritage, available at DavidoffGeneva.com. This is the Cigar Dave Show. With the general. College football now officially in full swing. Week zero last week. Now we're in week one. We've got the National Football League that kicks off next Thursday with the Los Angeles Rams and my Buffalo Bills. Cannot wait for that kickoff and cannot wait to talk to Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com around the corner. But first... As always, Cigar Dave, the general, your global five-star general, alpha male and chief front and center from Command Center Alpha, Humidor 1A, extending you a long-ass greeting and salutation, a long-ass snappy salute, Semper Delictatio, always pleasure, long live the alpha, make masculinity great again, screw the enemies of pleasure, Red Wave 2022. South Carolina football, their mascot for many, many years, was known as Sir Big Spur. It is actually a, well, if you look at South Carolina, their nickname is the Fighting Gamecock. So they had a Gamecock, Sir Big Spur, for years. Actually, they were on Sir Big Spur number six. That was the name. And a few weeks ago, there was a big controversy because a married couple, Mary Snelling, Ron Albertelli, have been shepherding the live Gamecock mascot, Big uh, Sir Big Spur, to South Carolina sporting events since 1999, for well over 20 years, and football games since 2006. Well, they decided after all those years that they were going to bequeath their Gamecock bird, Sir Big Spur 6, and the general responsibility of bringing it to events to another comp- a, a couple, Beth and Van Clark. Well, soon thereafter, a a very big, intense disagreement emerged because on the top of the rooster's head is a giant red comb. The Albertellis would clip the comb to make the animal look more like a fighting gamecock, which is what the animal is named after, the South Carolina fighting gamecocks. However, after Sir Big Spur the fifth passed away at the age of 12, the Clarks held tryouts for three different roosters to be the next mascot, And when they saw pictures, the Albertelli saw pictures of the new rooster, they were not happy because apparently they did not want to have the 
comb. They, 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 the new owners didn't want to clip the comb. And so there's a hole to do. And so basically, the former couple that was in charge that had the rights to Sir Big Spur said, you cannot use the name. That's it. So a huge, huge controversy ensued. And of course, the University of South Carolina had to rename their rooster, their fighting gamecock. And one of the newspapers, the state, a newspaper based in Columbia, South Carolina, where the University of South Carolina is based, ran a poll with 10 names to see what Gamecock fans would want for the name of the next mascot. Well, they had the 10 names. The 10 names were Cluck Norris, Coop, General Cockadoodle Dude, Marco Polo, Brewster, Captain Cluck, Kirk and Chicken or Mr. Scratch, and lastly, Cock Commander. Sergeant Steve, would you like to take a guess what name was number one in the hearts and minds of South Carolina Gamecock fans? That would be Cock Commander. That would be correct. Number one, Cock Commander. I'll tell you, to hear Brad Nessler on the SEC on CBS football game talk about the, the name of the, the, the mascot, I mean, just hearing him have to say Cock Commander over and over during a broadcast would be well worth the price of admission. Well, clearly the university had an issue with that. So they have now decided on a new name. And I'm here to tell you, my sources reveal that I was the inspiration for the new name because the South Carolina Gamecock mascot, the rooster, shall hereby be known as the General. And apparently, from what I hear, I was the, on a number of fronts, I was their motivation for naming this mascot the general. And by the way, I did hear, I got a news report saying this was the largest cock that they have ever had in the history of the University of South Carolina in terms of their mascot. So think about it, a huge cock, the general, I mean, come on, it kind of goes hand in hand. So I, Sergeant Steve, you did suggest that I sue for patent infringement or trademark infringement. However, when I found out that I was the inspiration, I just, I couldn't sick my team of lawyers on them. So it is now an honor to have the South Carolina huge Gamecock, now known as the General. Sergeant Steve, maybe we ought to put a Gamecock, a giant Gamecock on our website somewhere. Maybe we ought to put that next to our logo. What do you think? I love it. Let's do it. Let's, let's put it in there, no doubt about it. So can't wait for the first game when they say, and here comes their mascot, the general. Fantastic. No word if the, uh, if the new mascot name now, the general, is cigar-friendly, libation-friendly, but I do hear he does have a harem, so that is a good sign. Now, you have heard about hot dogs on the grill. This weekend is a huge weekend for hot dogs. When you think about barbecues and hot dogs, what do you think of? First up, you think of Memorial Day weekend. That's the unofficial start of summer. Then July 4th, Independence Day, that's big. And then to wrap it up, this is kind of the final, this is the last hurrah of summer. Growing, Sergeant Steve, you grew up in Ohio. I grew up in western New York. And let's face it, right around Labor Day, that was the, really, we looked at it as summer was over, back to school, the leaves were going to change, it was going to get cold, that was it. But now that we live in Florida, we can grill and barbecue year-round, so we don't have that, that unofficial ending, that hard ending, the way we did growing up in the, uh, in the Midwest, now, hold on, hold the on. Northeast. Much like Colonel Ange, 
I've never let the weather stop me from grilling out. The question is, do you have later hosen like Colonel Ange? That I do not have. Then it's not really official. I mean, if you're grilling outside, you got to have the later hosen. That's how it works. But I, you, you, I, I'm with you. I remember growing up as a kid, uh, I, my dad or I would go out and grill barbecue chicken. I mean, middle of the winter, you know, it'd be, you know, mm -hmm. foot of snow outside, gas grill, fire it up. If the weather wasn't too bad, you could certainly grill because there is nothing like the taste. But let's face it. It's a lot different grilling in the middle of January than it is June, July, August, or even early September. No doubt about that. No doubt. Total different experience. And so this is the last hurrah. And I remember I always hated Labor Day weekend as a kid because summer was over, the weather was going to turn, and you went back to school. Now, up in the Northeast where I grew up, we went back to school the Wednesday after Labor Day. Sergeant Steve, was it that way with you when you grew up as well? I believe so. I was trying to think. It may have been late August, like the week before Labor Day, but it was it was definitely later than it is here in Florida. Yeah, Florida starts, I think, like, what, August 12th, 14th? Uh, yeah, 10th this year, I think. Yeah, early, early. I saw Arizona. There was kids the, in Arizona starting July 25th. Say that again? I have friends in Arizona. Their kids were starting, like, July 25th. July? That's I've never heard of that. Yeah, I mean, they're Arizona's just getting into summer camp. Crazy. So we always started the Wednesday after Labor Day. So it was Labor Day, you got Tuesday, and then we always had a half day Wednesday and then full days Thursday, Friday. They transitioned us in back to school, and then we would get out around the third week of June. So we got out later than they do in the South and Florida and, and other, other states. But we always associated that last weekend of Labor Day with the end of summer. Hot dogs, burgers on the grill, and we will see millions, or as Bernard Sanders would say, billions, zillions, and trillions of Americans loading up hot dogs on the grill. Now, I'm all for hot dogs on the grill, but what I am not for is a hot dog-flavored popsicle. Oscar Mayer. By the way, did you know their, their hot dogs are not called hot dogs? They're all called wieners. I have no idea why. But Oscar Mayer has created a hot dog flavored popsicle working in conjunction with Pop Bar to make this unique frozen treat. It is being released in limited locations at Pop Bar locations in New York City, Atlanta, New Orleans, and Long Beach People's Republic of California. Two bucks resembles a hot dog topped with mustard and has smoky notes of Oscar Mayer's iconic wiener. I am not sure that is what I would like to have post-barbecue for dessert. A, an Oscar Mayer wiener-flavored popsicle for several reasons. Number one, it's not appetizing. I want something a little on the sweet side. Second, I am not a fan of Oscar Mayer wieners. I think they are the worst available hot dog available known to mankind. My favorite, Salins from Buffalo, now available in the uh, Mid-Atlantic, in the South, in Florida, Publix carries them. I believe all the Wegmans in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic, uh, they are now in Maryland and Virginia, they carry them as well. So Salins, which was very regional where I grew up in Buffalo, is now available pretty much uh, in the uh, Northeast, Mid-Atlantic, and the Southeast. Great flavor. They're smokehouse dogs off the charts. But the thought 
of an Oscar Mayer wiener flavored popsicle? No, thank you. I think I'll stick with regular ice cream. And, and here's the thing, as I tell people, if you want the taste of an Oscar Mayer wiener, why wouldn't you just eat an Oscar Mayer wiener? Why do you need either a candy or a popsicle or some ice cream flavored like an Oscar Mayer wiener or a hot dog? Doesn't make sense to me in any way, shape, or form. Now, last week in the People's Republic of California, a big announcement. They, the Democrats, Socialists, Marxists, Communists in the PRC, People's Republic of California, announced last week that they would ban the sale of gas-powered vehicles by 2035. 100% of all cars sold in the People's Republic of California by 2035 must be free of fossil fuel emissions, and they are going to stagger it. So... By 2026, 35% of all new passenger vehicles sold in California must be electrified vehicles. By 2026, or, or, or correction, by 2030, 68%, and by 2035, 100%. Little factoid you may not know, 20% of all Americans who purchase electrified vehicles, their EVs, switch back to gas-powered cars because of the inconvenience of charging. And I have spoken to many friends who have purchased a Tesla or another electrified vehicle, an Audi, a Porsche, the Chevy, and they all tell me the same thing. It is a local car, a regional car. If you're going to go from point A to point B and it's 300 miles or 600 miles or 1,000 miles, forget it. You will never make it without massive numbers of stops. And when you do go to one of these supposed charging stations that are quick charge, supposedly in two hours you get 100%, 95% of the time they don't work as, as, as advertised and you get a slow trickle charge. Maybe after two hours you get 10%. It takes you almost overnight to get a full charge. Who wants to do that? And let's face it, we've spoken about this often. People say, oh, I'm going to buy an electrified vehicle, no emissions, it's clean, it's environmentally friendly, I'm going to save the planet because of climate change. Well, we all know climate change is 100% bullshit hoax. We know it is nothing more than a wealth transfer scheme. Take a look around at all the politicians, the actors, the celebrities, who rail at all times about saving the planet and that climate change is destroying the planet. We won't be around in another five years or ten years. Little Greta Thunberg, how dare you? How dare you destroy the planet? Speaking of Greta Thunberg, look what happens in Europe when the dumbass Europeans start listening to some mentally deranged teenager spewing on about climate change with no scientific data to back it up and they say oh we've got to listen to Greta Thunberg we've got to save the planet save the environment how dare us how dare us continue with carbon emissions and so in Germany they say we are going to I love this we're going to decommission nuclear power plants never mind the fact that nuclear power plants are very clean energy and of course coal's got to come down 
and we've got to get rid of gas. Well, what has happened in the last six, eight months? Germany now is in huge, huge trouble. Just set a record for the wholesale cost of energy. They have announced they are going to refire up coal plants. They're not going to decommission nuclear. Trump was right when he said, hey, you guys are all dependent on, on natural gas from Germany, or from, uh, from Russia. The enemy that the Americans have to protect you from, the reason you are a member of NATO to protect you from big, bad, evil Russia, and yet you're building another pipeline with Russia. And when Trump stated that at the UN, he was laughed at by the German diplomats, the ambassador, the diplomats. There are about six of them all laughing. Well, who the fuck has the last laugh right now, you dumb Nazi bastards? You tell us. We're the ones, and Donald Trump is the ones having the last laugh. Because you were stupid enough to listen to some 12 or 13-year-old girl with zero scientific evidence behind her, but nothing more than, oh, she's so cute, let's listen to little Greta Thunberg. How dare you? How dare you? You're destroying the planet. You're killing it for all of us young people. When you turn over your energy policy to a mentally disturbed 12, 13-year-old, good luck. That's the result. In the uh, UK, just announced, the British government approved an 80%, 80% increase in power bills for Brits. We'll have to get Mick the Brit. I wonder how he's going to feel about that. 80% increase. This nonsense that we have to go climate change. We, we are destroying our climate. We have to immediately get off of carbon fuels. And we have to go all electric vehicle. So we go to electric vehicles. The batteries, lithium, 95% of the ingredients of the composition of the raw materials come from where? China. The People's Republic of China, the CCP. Not bad enough, they already gave us the Wuhan virus. Now we've got to be dependent upon them for the raw materials in a lithium battery. Lithium, cobalt. And then you have to change the battery in these EVs after 50, 60,000 miles. That costs you $25,000, $30,000. And disposing of these batteries, they don't have an efficient method yet because they're loaded with toxic chemicals. Oh, and if your EV catches on fire, the fire department won't put it out. They won't put water on it. Makes it worse. They will just allow it to go up in smoke. But let's go to EVs. Oh, and one other thing I forgot to mention. How do you recharge an electrified vehicle? You plug it in. And where does the power come from that when you plug it in? From a power plant. What is the number one source of energy right now for power plants in the country? Coal. Beautiful, clean coal, as President Trump said. Natural gas. Nuclear is behind. You've got hydro, which is behind. Wind, solar, not even a factor. You have to have the, the a adequate amount of baseload energy, and that is produced by carbon fuels, nat gas and coal. That is a fact of life. So last week in the People's Republic of California, everybody by 2035 must buy an electrified vehicle. We will not allow the sale of electrified vehicles in California. This week, 
they have changed their tune. They're expecting this week a very large drain on their power grid because of a massive heat wave. They have said to residents in the People's Republic of California, number one, push your thermostats up to 80 degrees. I like my thermostat. I've got very fuel efficient air conditioners. Keep them at 72 in the house. Sometimes it's almost too cool, but at night, I sleep at 68 cool degrees. In fact, the Cleveland Clinic did a study and showed that 68 is the optimal sleeping temperature. And that's what I like to sleep at. 80, forget it. I'll be schwitzing, I'll be roasting. That will not work for me. So number one, they're saying, we ask every resident, turn your thermostat up 80 degrees. Number two, please do not recharge your electrified vehicle this week because of the power drain expected due to the heat wave. Now think about this for a second. Let's say you have a heat wave that goes on two, three, four weeks. Are they going to tell electrified vehicle owners in 2035, we don't have the power to recharge. Sorry, you can't recharge your electrified vehicle, meaning you can't drive, meaning you can't go to work, meaning commerce stops, meaning the economy in the People's Republic of California chokes until it cools down. We have several problems. Number one, it is a fantasy. It is a fairy tale. It is fiction to think that electrified vehicles will replace gas-powered cars or SUVs or trucks. Not going to happen, never will happen. That's number one. Remember, we are the Saudi Arabia of natural gas and oil. We've got more natural gas underneath the United States of America than anywhere else in the world. Clean, efficient, natural gas. Have all the power plants you want. Build more power plants with natural gas. However, can't build na natural gas. That's a carbon fuel. Can't use coal. We don't want any more nuclear. Hey, let's go and build solar panels, which also come from where? You guessed it. Communist China. And what happens at night when everybody's charging their cars and there's no sun, no power? We need baseload energy, and it is almost unfathomable to think that in California, which I believe would rank in the top, I want to say top 10, maybe top 7 of economies in the world, is begging residents to turn their air conditioners up to 80 degrees and don't charge, recharge your electrified vehicle because we don't have enough baseload power. How pathetic is that? Because they have acquiesced to this nutcase climate change absolute hoax. They have essentially rolled over to the environmentalists saying, we don't want any power plants built. Let's go back to the dark ages. Let's go back to 1900. And yet we are sitting on massive amounts of natural gas. Clean, cheap, natural gas. You leave government to handling a power grid. You leave government to anything and they destroy it. They cannot manage it effectively. Get out of the way. If the People's Republic of California and all these other governments would just get out of the way, America would be far greater. We'd be efficient. We'd have a great power grid. We'd have great sources, abundant sources of energy, as we did under President Trump. 
not this nonsense where we're begging people, please do not turn your air conditioning too low and please do not recharge your electric vehicle. So one week ago, everybody in California must buy an electric vehicle by 2035. Today, not so much. Don't recharge. Absolutely amazing. It shows you just how stupid these ultra-liberal Marxist, Dem, socialist, fascist politicians really are. They are clueless. And once the California electric grid totally shuts down, then people are going to look and say, enough of this climate change bullshit. How many people do you think want to live year-round in the summer without air conditioning? Or in the winter, no heating or, or, or forced air heating, no heating oil. Great. Stay at, keep your house at 40 degrees in the winter and keep it at 90 or 100 in the summer. That may have been great back in colonial times. It ain't going to work today in the 21st century. All right, when we come back, we'll conduct the International Cigar Libation and Lightation Ceremony. Question I receive most from connoisseurs. General, what is the newest cigar that I should try? Easy answer. Right now, it's the Gurkha Revenant. Very unique addition to the Gurkha portfolio. It comes in two different wrappers, a Corojo or a San Andrean Maduro wrapper. But what is unique about the Gurkha Revenant? It uses essentially the same Cameroon binder and some broadleaf in the filler. So you're going to get some unique sweetness. You're going to get some unique spice. The San Andres Maduro wrapper adds more sweetness with a little bit more of a unique complexion, whereas the Corojo, more of a medium-bodied balance smoke. Try one of each. You can't go wrong. The brand-new Gurkha Revenant, available in Corojo and San Andres Maduro wrapper. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Lightation Maneuvers. Well, we are already in September, the third day of September to be precise. That means it is National Bourbon Heritage Month. We celebrate quintessential American spirit, bourbon, the entire month, but we also celebrate American spirits in addition to bourbon, American whiskeys, and the entire month. On our brother podcast, Bold Alpha, we are celebrating National Bourbon Heritage Month. Every Thursday during our weekly spirit celebration, we will be sampling various American whiskeys and bourbons. And the last Thursday of September, I will be conducting on Bold Alpha a tasting, a single barrel tasting, where we will taste multiple single barrel spirits, I believe from Four Roses, that Tommy Diadio of Corona Cigar Company in Orlando and Tampa, as well as our resident sommelier has uh, gathered. We will sample, I believe, four or five different single barrels, and we will make a selection that will be available later this year at the four Corona Cigar stores, again, in three in Orlando and one in the Cigar City of Tampa. So if you are not already subscribing to our Brother Bold Alpha podcast, be sure to do that. Give us a five-star rating review. All month, we are celebrating National Bourbon Heritage Month, our weekly spirit celebration that drops every Thursday throughout the year, Bold Alpha. Now, I have selected a cigar that is going to go beautifully with the spirit that I have selected today. And I'll tell you about that spirit momentarily. But from Ernesto Perez Carrillo, E.P. Carrillo, the original boutique godfather of cigars, I have selected the E.P. Carrillo Inch Nicaragua. 
Well, this is interesting because this Nicaraguan was blended between the Placencias, Placencia family in Nicaragua, and Ernesto Perez Carrillo. Blended it together, but is manufactured in Nicaragua. It is a Nicaraguan puro. Nicaraguan wrapper, Nicaraguan filler, Nicaraguan binder. Comes in three sizes. And the reason that initially was called the inch was because many of the ring gauges were 64 in diameter. 64 64 of an inch. One inch in diameter. So there are three. There's the number 60, which is a Maduro. They're all Maduros, by the way, from the inch Nicaragua. Five and seven eighths inches in length with a 60 ring gauge. There is the number 62 Maduro 5 by 62, and the number 64 Maduro 6 and an eighth by 54 inch, or by 64 uh, ring gauge. So 64, 64, 7 inch. It is a full inch. That's what I will enjoy. The inch Nicaragua 64, full flavored cigar, medium to full bodied. It is a very unique blend, uses cigar tobaccos from the Jalapa. Condega and Esteli regions of Nicaragua. This absolutely for those that like a nice rich flavor, a nice spiciness, you will absolutely love the Inch Nicaragua. And also the Inch Nicaragua, you are looking, for example, I think you're looking at maybe in the eight, nine dollar uh, price point for these cigars. So for a lot of cigar, that seems to be the sweet spot right now. We're seeing it used to be four to five dollars, then four to six, then we saw six to eight. Right now, the sweet spot for cigars is really in the eight to ten, eight to eleven dollar area. Certainly, there are cigars less, there are cigars that are more, but I would say that that sweet spot where you get great cigars, great value is in that eight to eleven dollar area. It certainly changed from when we started. Cigar and Alpha Male Pleasure Broadcast Maneuvers 27 years ago, but times have changed. You have to change with the times or the times will change you. Prices have changed as well, certainly over the last year, as we have all come to uh, find out. So I have just pulled out the inch Nicaragua, made in Nicaragua, Nicaraguan Pearl, the number 64, 6 and an eighth by 64 inch. Cigar-altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. Now, I need a giant cutter that will be able to accommodate a one-inch diameter cigar. The good news is virtually every cutter that is manufactured today has now accommodating or is accommodating these larger ring-gauge side cigars. 25 years ago, double-edged guillotine cutters maybe could fit a 52 ring-gauge size cigar. Now, easily a 70 no problem. So I've got a big, massive, self-sharpening, double-edged stainless steel gutter that I think is about a 70 ring gauge, so just over an inch in diameter. It'll take care of my inch Nicaragua, no problem. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. Just, just refilled my cigar, Dave. Five-star. Five butane jet flames arranged in a Pentagon layout. Translucent tank. Built-in piercer, cigar bullet cut, uh, cutter right in. Just flick that out. Ready to go. Beautiful handy uh, litation device. Works great outside. Golfing, you are fishing, you are uh, attending a sporting event, walking, whatever the case may be. This thing will work like, put this on your car, and it'll turbocharge your car, no problem whatsoever. Cigar, cigar pre-litation checklist complete. 
No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. Perfect cut. Man, just, I wanted to take just enough of the cap right above the shoulder. So absolutely fantastic. All right, let me just get rid of this cap. And now I will gently toast the foot of this inch Nicaragua. Now this is going to take me just a minute because it is such a large ring gauge in diameter. Talking a full inch. So first I'm going to rotate. Got the cigar at a 45 degree angle. Heat is causing combustion. I do not have the blue flame into the cigar, the foot of the cigar. I'm now just gently toasting the wrapper first. Okay. Starting to see some smoke there. And now I'm going to toast the foot of the cigar binder and the fillers, taking my time. Listen to that. Okay, now I will puff and rotate. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Wow. Lovely flavors. Very Nicaraguan in taste. Mm-hmm. Beautiful draw. Mm. Great initial aroma. Mm. Let me move on the foot of the cigar. Nope, got one little area, about a third I need to touch up. That's why we blow on the foot of the cigar. We don't want any black areas. We want an even amber glow, which will mean you will get an even smoke throughout the cigar experience. Now let me puff a little bit. Mm -hmm. Perfect even amber glow. I'll tell you, this five-star litation device works like a charm. Wonderful aroma just wafting around me right now. I'm going to take another puff here. I'm not rushing anything, taking my time. Now, when you have two cigar legends, when you have Ernesto Perez Carrillo and you have Nestor Placencia Sr. and his son Nestor Jr., when you have them working with great cigar tobaccos, working on great blends, you are going to get a fantastic cigar. This is one of the cigars that I think people sometimes tend to overlook, the inch. It's a great cigar, good price. Remember, Ernesto Perez Carrillo was really amongst the first people to introduce cigars in larger size ring gauges. It started with the Diamond Crown, an all Robusto size ring gauge, all 52 at the time. That was around 1997, 98. And then Ernesto Perez Carrillo came out with the La Gloria Cubana Serie R. Same concept, all big ring gauges, but he got them up to, I think, almost a 64, 68 ring gauge. Very successful cigar. To this day, successful. He sold the company, started Ipicario, and here we have one of his creations, similar to the La Gloria Cubana Serie R in that same large ring gauge format, the inch. And he's got, not only does he have the inch Nicaragua, but they also have their inch natural and their inch maduro. So the inch maduro, inch uh, uh, natural is are both made in Ernesto's factory down in República Dominicana, Dominican Republic, inch Nicaragua, Placencia's factory in Nicaragua. Beautiful, beautiful cigar. And now I need something that's going to be as hardy and stand up to this inch Nicaragua. Scotch, bourbon, and beer. Commence thirst-quenching libationary maneuvers. 
And I'll tell you, I'm already getting in the mood for NFL football, hearing all these these themes, the NFL on Fox, Monday Night Football, CBS. I am locked and loaded and ready. A friend of mine happened to be up in my hometown of Buffalo a while back, and she happened to stop by a distillery called Hartman's Distilling. And she ended up talking to Justin Hartman, who is a is their master distiller and co-founder. But he is the guy that basically had the vision. Actually, I should let, let me go back here. Actually, Hartman's co-owners are Bob and Lisa Hoba, and then Justin, uh, and they've got this Hartman's Distilling, and so he has created this very several unique blends. Now, I will tell you this. They do have their distillery up and running, but it takes time to get the juice from once you distill it. You can't just distill it unless it's vodka and put it in a bottle. It takes time. Got to age it, put it in barrels. So what they have done is they have purchased their initial juice from actually the country's largest distillery in Indiana, MGP. And then they have aged it in uh, give it an additional uh, aging and then they proof and bottle it at their distillery in buffalo and then within a few years they will be able to have their own juice their own bourbon their own whiskeys coming from their distill uh, the, coming from their own distillery this is not uncommon for many boutique dis- uh, distillers we see this often and i will tell you that there are some great spirits angel's envy comes to mind where Angel's Envy, when it started, they did not, their distillery, it took them a few years to get up and running, so they were able to purchase outstanding aged whiskey and bourbons and rye from MGP in, I think it's Lawrenceburg, Indiana, right near Cincinnati. And so that is exactly what Hartman's has done. And I've got, uh, I've got three bottles that were sent to me. And the one that I wanted to sample today is the straight rye whiskey. Now they also make a vodka, a flavored vodka. They have a straight bourbon whiskey, which is what was good. But however, this rye, I thought really jumped out at me. So I said, you know what? This is what I absolutely want to uh, to try. I want to try this straight rye whiskey. So let me open up this bottle. There we go. And I've already sampled some a while back. And for National Bourbon Heritage Month, it only makes sense that we consume for our libation segment, American whiskeys, bourbons, or ryes. Now, rye initially was the big spirit in the United States. Why? Because rye, the grain rye, was available in New York State, Pennsylvania, everywhere in the Northeast. That was really, I think in Virginia as well, rye was big before we saw bourbon and corn becoming very, very popular in the United States. But rye really has the history. Now, they say this is single barrel, distinctively bold. Now, this is barrel number six, bottle number 34. It is hand bottled at 45% alcohol by volume. It is 90 proof. And Master Distiller, I can see right along here that uh, Justin Hartman actually has his initial Master Distiller approved, so he signed it. And they say right on the back here that rye is a hearty and resilient grain with a distinct flavor profile, creates a spirit that's big and brash. I absolutely agree with that. Just like the salt of the earth folks who made straight rye whiskey so popular 
so many years ago. Our version is aged in new charred oak white barrels, resulting in a bold taste with a bit of spice, aged at least three years. And they do have a tasting room. They are located, as I mentioned, in my hometown of Buffalo. In fact, when I get up there very soon, I will be heading over and sampling and uh, hope to uh, meet with Justin and do a nice sampling and maybe pair up some very nice cigars. They have a tasting room. They've got uh, just a beautiful looking, it's a magnificent looking tasting room. I mean, I'm looking at this and it is, I mean, this thing looks like an absolute upscale lounge, something that you would see in probably a unique boutique hotel. So I cannot wait to check it out and to get there. Very, very nice. The aroma on this, definitely getting some maple, definitely getting some, almost like a vanilla, almost a, mm, a cinnamon spice on the nose, we'll say cheers. Mm. Wow, nice. Definitely getting those wood notes. I'm getting some nice peppery char towards the back of my throat. On the Cigar Dave Warm Factor scale, 1 to 10, 10 being absolute super heat coming down. This is about a, I'd say this is about a 7.8. Nice warmth, nice uh, light amber color. Take another sip. Mm. Nice. Definitely get that spice and pepper from the rye, but I'm getting a bit of sweetness too. Maybe it's from that charred oak barrel, but very, very pleasant. Very nice. If you find this to be a bit too strong, you can certainly cut it down with some branch or some water, but I find it straight up very, very nice. Put it in a snifter, have it with a full-bodied cigar, as is my Inch Nicaragua, and I mm, am in business. My Inch Nicaragua Pairs perfectly with the Hartman's Distilling Straight Rye Whiskey Single Barrel. Take another sip. Mm. And cheers to all on this Labor Day weekend. When we return, we begin our National Football League preview with football expert scout extraordinaire, Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. Chris joined us last week for our college football preview. We may touch upon a little college after week zero last week. And then we get into the NFL. College, pro, I am ready for football from Thursday night, Sat Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I am just ready for a massive injection of football. College, pro, we are ready to go. And we will preview the National Football League season next. I had the pleasure of knowing the late, great Avo Uvesian, the man behind the Avo lineup of cigars. And Avo had a great saying. He would tell me, savor every note. Well, one cigar that I can tell you, you will savor every puff, savor every note, is the Avo Heritage. It was developed for the cigar connoisseur seeking a fuller-bodied cigar. Strength, complexity, impeccable smoothness, nice notes of spice. If you are looking for a cigar that delivers full-bodied richness, impeccable smoothness, savor every note of the spice-laden Avo heritage. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com.
You are listening to the new Prime Thursday night football theme that was just released last week. And I will admit, I had to listen to it a few times until it started to warm. I had to warm to it because it initially I listened to it, and you know, I'm so used to Fox NFL, big and bold, Sunday night football on NBC, Monday night football theme, CBS's theme. But it started to grow on me. And what's interesting is, big deal was made of this last week, of course, is that the theme was the first NFL broadcast theme to be composed by a day. So, of course, everywhere you go, that was the whole story. To me, I don't care who composed it. The question is, does it stick with me? Does it get you in the mood for football? And after listening to it about 30 times, it definitely uh, it, it hits the spot. Maybe not as much as the Sunday night football theme or Fox, but it is still up there. And speaking of football, glad to be rejoined by our super scout, football super scout extraordinaire, Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. Chris, last week we spent the entire hour talking about college football. Before we get into the NFL preview, we talked about Scott Frost being on the hot seat. And I'm watching the game last week. It was actually a pretty good, it was a very good game. You tell me how you're up by 11 points and you decide to onside kick. Can you explain that for me? I can't, uh, other than the fact that he is 5-21 and 21 at Nebraska in one-possession games. That's the worst in college football. If you look at the, the teams that have lost games uh, as much as Nebraska has lost, uh, no one – they usually get – beat by wide margins he gets beaten one possession games like every time it's just uh, embarrassingly bad and by the way I may add that he got beat last Saturday by the uh, probably the worst team on their schedule in the west and I do think Pat Fitzgerald does a great job and his offensive line is good but this is just another more of the same with Scott Frost it's Awful decisions. They had Oklahoma beat last year. They had Michigan State beat last year. Lost those games. So it's not that they can't compete, but it's like an anchor around their neck from the sidelines. And I just, it's really, really difficult to watch something fall apart so, um, so consistently. It's, it's, it's going to be tough for them to get out from under that this year. Well, he certainly had no problem throwing his new offensive coordinator, Mark oh. Whipple, under the bus, who I thought they had a pretty decent offensive showing. They did, and you know, but this is another example of his immaturity. Mark Whipple was forced on him. Trev Alberts, the athletic director, said, "You're going to make changes, and you're going to take a pay cut, and this is how it's going to be done." And so Mark Whipple comes in, and, and you're right. It was the if there's one thing that they did, I mean, you're going to take a shot really at your offensive coordinator, um, and and not point the finger at the defense that couldn't get off the field and. You know, he had it's and it's almost like he wanted a pat on the back for taking, you know, the blame for the onside kick. Well, Scott, who exactly else would we blame but you? I right. mean, I, you know, so it's just one of those things where he doesn't get it. And um, I, I just look, there's a lot of football left. But for me to sit there and be optimistic about a potential turnaround, I can be hopeful for them. I just. I'd just be disingenuous doing it. It's just I don't think that uh, it's looking like it's more the same. Yeah, and what I we, we talked last week about he's in the hot seat. Well, 
After the game, I said, well, you'll see. Probably tomorrow there'll be some articles uh, calling for his head and maybe replacements. I was wrong. It took about 20 minutes after the game, <laughs> and I started to see on some different sports uh, Twitter feeds, there was already an article posted, three top replacements for Scott Frost next season. So that did not take long, and who knows? Maybe Mark Whipple could be a, a candidate for that gig next year. It, it, it's going to be interesting to see where they go. They've lost their identity. They certainly lost their mental toughness. That's been a consistent part of the problem. Uh, you know, the one thing I will say that the buyout, when they redid the contract this past offseason, the buyout goes down to $7.5 million middle of October. So when they, when they, if they have to go ahead and buy him out, it's going to be a lot less than what it would have been last year, which would have been over 20 mil. Ooh. Crazy. Well, let's talk about the National Football League. Every year, the NFL always starts the season now, Thursday night, with the defending NFL champion, Super Bowl champion, and then they try to match it up with a hot game. A number of years ago, it was the Cowboys at the Buccaneers with, with Tom Brady after they had won the Super Bowl. This year, we've got the Rams and my Buffalo Bills, and the odds-on favorite to win the Super Bowl Buffalo Bills. But as Marv Levy always said, our goal is number one to remain healthy. Because if you're not healthy, you can't win the division. And then if you can't win the division, you can't win the conference. And if you can't win the conference, you can't win the Super Bowl. And I think we're seeing around the league there's been some injuries already. So big matchup. I think it's going to be a fantastic game. Two, you know, great offenses. And then you've got certainly this Von Miller storyline leaving the Rams after winning a Super Bowl, coming to the Bills. But the Bills have done a great job at really drafting and signing their own. They really have. It's a very well-run organization. Uh, even in a, you know, very ugly, messy situation that they dealt with, the you know had to deal with this past week, they handled it. You know, uh, honestly, openly, and and uh, just just a lot of credit to them. I have a have a lot of respect for how they run things, and it's a big part of why they've had success and put together such a good roster. I, I agree with you. It should be a really good game. Don't know in the early part of the season. It usually takes about a quarter of the season, particularly with less of a preseason game, or with one less preseason game, and, and people not playing their starters as much. The tackling, the special teams usually, and I'm talking coverage units, usually not all that good. Uh, so I'm curious to see how that will play out, but um, – you know, listen, you're going to hear this a lot. Could this be? Could this be a Super Bowl preview? You hear that, you know, nine times this year with the, any variety of teams. But this is certainly, obviously, it's about the Rams hosting as they won last year. And as you mentioned, Buffalo's the favorite in the AFC. Uh, it's a great way to kick it off. It's a long season, but it's uh, it's fun when you have these type of matchups that we'll look back week eight and these teams are going to look a little bit different. But these two teams should be contenders all year long, no doubt. Well, let's start in the National Football Conference, since you being in New Orleans Saints territory, uh, being in Baton Rouge, that is your neck of the woods. So let's start, as always, with the NFC East. And, of course, the Cowboys, the Giants, the Eagles, the Washington Commanders. Quite, what a weird story about one of the Washington Commanders players uh, in broad daylight getting held up and getting shot in Washington, D.C., doing nothing but going to his car. Yeah, B. John Robinson. That's a that's a tough story, scary story Very. that uh, just tells you, you know, what a war we live in. Anything can happen, and to anybody at any time. Uh, it's gonna an interesting division. Still a division that, uh, to me, I think lacks quality in terms of 
an elite caliber team. You know, Dallas gets a lot of attention. They always do. they a little bit of a stargazing type group. Uh, they've had a couple of key injuries already. Uh, they are not very deep. I think the Eagles are the deepest team in the division. I don't, I don't know that they're, again, a deep playoff run type team, but I think that they're deeper. So I think it's probably between those two. Uh, I think the Giants will get better. I don't know how much better. And I think Washington, very good defensive line, but overall um, still missing a lot of key components that are going to make them uh, anything other than, you know, trying to stay out of the, the basement. So I'm curious to see what it's going to – here's the storyline there. Is what is it going to take to win that division? Um, and I don't know that, you know, everybody looks like a 9-7 and seven team. Now, in that division, you know, somebody will probably, you know, 9-7, and seven, excuse me, would be 9-8. and eight. Now, with an extra game, Chris, do your math, right? I think maybe 10 wins, you know, might, might get it done uh, in that division with no one really advancing, probably not even out of the first round of the playoffs. Well, if anybody is going to get maximum – performance out of a quarterback I think it's uh, Brian Dable with the Giants so it's a big year question is whether or not uh you know they're going to have a uh, quarterback uh, I, I think he's um if I'm not mistaken their QB and his name is da- da- Daniel Jones yeah Daniel Jones from, thank you yeah you know he's he's in his fourth year they didn't take the fifth year option this is make or break for him and yes. look I think he's got probably the best offensive mind he's had since he's been there Yes, they haven't had much stability there. He's a cerebral quarterback. He's got adequate um, NFL physical skills. I, I still think he'll get another chance if he doesn't make it. But but you're right. Brian Dayball is going to have to look at this and make a determination. You know, both he and his, his general manager locked at the hip on this. Is Look, we need to see if this is the guy for the future. And basically this year will help determine because they're not only going to have to see him play, but they're going to be with him every day in meetings. So they'll get a feel for whether this is their guy going forward. Uh, but I agree with you. I think, you know, better, but I don't know how good this Giants team will be. And, but if there's a division where, hey, look, if you, you hang around 500 and you get a little, on a little bit of a winning streak, you, you could be a surprise winner. I think the Giants are the team that's the most interesting to watch. Is Dallas Cowboys head coach Mike McCarthy going to be the head coach next year at this time? Um. Probably, but I, you know, it's always difficult there because one of the things that that is the underlying story about Dallas is they always talk about well, the coach this or coach that. There, there's a reason why they get coaches that, you know, have had some success, but they're kind of guys that they, they need a job because Jerry runs things. It's the head coach can only be so good when the players on your roster knows, know that the buck doesn't stop with the head coach. The head coach has to be the boss. The players have to know what the head coach means, and they have to know that he means it. And if the buck doesn't stop there, you're not going to have success. That is the reason why they have not had success, um, you know, um, with with – you know, when you're looking at situations where, like, you remember when the, the well, it was called the Redskins and people went, you know, um, uh, around the, 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 the head coach to go and, and meet with the owner? Those right. things don't work, Dave, and, nope. and this is the biggest problem in Dallas, and I think it will continue to be problem, and it's going to likely be the doom for Mike McCarthy or anyone else, but the reality is not many people with other options are going to want that job. 
uh, because they're having to deal with Jerry and Steven and the meddlesome way that they do things. Yeah. A fun, and I remember Jerry Jones was interviewed a number of years ago and the, I think it was on uh, real sports on HBO and the, the reporter said, you're friends or were friends with George Steinbrenner. Would George Steinbrenner fire you if he owned the team? And I remember Jerry Jones said, Oh, hell yes, absolutely. He'd fire me. And you know, you got to wonder about that. Why Jerry Jones, they haven't had the success that they've, that they've enjoyed when it was uh, Jimmy Johnson, you know, back coaching way back. And you wonder why would he not, I know why he doesn't want to step away, but he wants to win. You'd think he'd say, let me bring somebody in and really let them run it. But, I don't his, probably will his, never happen. His ego won't allow it. See, he was yep. miserable when Jimmy Johnson when they were winning. Yep. Uh, because not but he wasn't miserable that they were winning. He was miserable that Jimmy Johnson got the credit for it. Right. Jerry wants the credit. He wants to be known as a football guy. Well, you can't buy credibility. You have to earn it. And you know that's why the guy is is the best money maker in the NFL. He has meant a whole lot to this league, Jerry Jones. He really has. But you know, he is his ego won't allow me. Look, his son's a good young guy, no background, and he's the he's basically the de facto GM. Right. So they, you know, that unless that changes, uh, unless uh, you know, and and it won't. You're correct. That's the problem, and you know, at this point. You know, it's almost gonna catch light. Have to catch lightning in a bottle for them to to do it because everything else they try to do first class. But the football side, hiring a good football guy and stepping aside and letting a top football guy take over, that's not something he won't do. And that's why they've not had the success and likely will continue to be good but not great. Well, there's really only one America's team, and that's the Buffalo Bills because their colors are red, white, and blue. So forget Dallas. The Buffalo Bills are here by America's team. Let's go to the NFC uh, Central. Two new coaching changes there. The Bears bring in Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator from the Colts. And then the Minnesota Vikings bring in Kevin O'Connell from the Rams, I believe. And I don't believe he was uh, even a coordinator, was he? Or was he a coordinator? Yeah, he was. In, he, yeah, he didn't have a, a title, but he's, he's really good and he's – uh, I think he'll. I think he'll do a pretty good job. Yeah, uh, that's going to be an interesting division. Is the Bears? Um, you know, I still think have a ways to go. I think the lines are getting better, but it has the ways to go. I, I think Minnesota is the one challenger to Green Bay. We know with Aaron Rodgers, they're always in it. Um, the defense, I think, will be better. I, I just don't know if it's good enough for Green Bay to make a deep run in the playoffs, but. Uh, I do think Green Bay, Minnesota, and then there's Chicago, Detroit. I think it's a two-and-two two situation in the north. Well, Green Bay loses their best receiver, and there was some yes. controversy a few weeks ago <laughs> because apparently uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers kind of dressed down his young receivers, brought him in and got into the uh, receiver's room, and there's uh, a, uh, a little bit of activity there. So what, what do you predict on that? Well, I think you know I, I'm I'm okay in general with it. Uh, the the only thing with Aaron Rodgers is it, it's it's a little bit tiresome is that you know he seemingly wants to and I, and I, I, guys like that and even with Brady, Brady though has got a lot of skins on the wall. Th there's a little bit more of an NBA effect where you know a lot of these players want to have like this say so of who we're gonna draft and who we're gonna sign and who we're gonna and. I just, 
here's my thing. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is not wrong to address his young players, not publicly. You don't speak for the team. You don't speak for the organization. So that wouldn't fly with me or, or people I've, uh, I've been around and coach with. So I don't like that publicly because you don't speak for the organization. But we've got a young coach. They've, they've really kind of bowed down to Aaron Rodgers, and it's all about Aaron Rodgers. We're going to do it the way Aaron Rodgers wants, and we're going to have a lot of yards. And get, but they're not going to be good enough uh, around Aaron Rodgers because, you know, quite frankly, they need to play more to the defense. They need to run the football more. But that's not what Aaron wants to do. Well, Aaron's going to likely retire with one Super Bowl. So um, I think there's a there's a difference there. And so that's kind of my view on it. I think he makes them relevant. I think he's the only thing that makes them a contender, Aaron Rodgers. But that's part of the problem is that they've not done the things around him because of the stylistic way that he wants to do it that I think holds the Packers back a little bit. And Aaron Rodgers has not had great success in the playoffs. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You look at that team and no, you sir. say, geez, a, a franchise quarterback, they probably should have won more than, what, one Super Bowl? Uh, one with Super Rogers Bowl. At the and, helm? Look, and look at that year. What was the difference in that year? Look how well they ran the football. Look how right. well they played defense. Rodgers was great. But, you know, if you're a one-man team, you know, and you are throwing it around the lot and you're trying to, you know, it, it's it's like, okay, we get it. You're the superstar. You know, but you've, we just talked about it with Jerry. Jerry's got to win it his way as an owner, where Aaron wants to win it his way. You know, that's to me not the way football is, is we need to not minimize you, Aaron, but we need to accentuate what you do. And we need to make people pay uh, if because what happens is you can win games the way they're doing it. But championships, that's when the rubber meets the road. That's when you begin to separate. That's when you see, okay – they're not good enough defensively. They're not good enough with a running game. And those things tend to fall apart, and that's why you make the playoffs, but you don't advance. That's kind of where I see them again this year. NFC South, two new head coaches in that division. The Saints hired Dennis Allen after Sean Payton, quote-unquote, retires, even though he tried to go to the Dolphins. And then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers promote Todd Bowles. They push aside... Bruce Arians, who said, no, oh, I, I, I wanted this transition. This was the perfect time, although we all know the truth. It was uh, Tom Brady that wanted him out if he was going to come back for another season. So we've got two new coaches. Um, you know, New Orleans is a high-powered offense that Peyton ran, and Dennis Allen is a defensive guy. And then same thing with, with the Buccaneers. you got Todd Bowles, who's more of a defensive coach, didn't do much with the Jets. Thoughts on those two hires? Well, you know, I think that um, certainly Todd is is B.A.'s guy. I mean, they're very, very close. So I think that this defense can be pretty good. I think everything in, we know what Tom Brady can do, and they're, they're weapons to, to throw to. It all comes down to the offensive line play for the Bucks. They're banged up right now. How yep. much that solidifies. Now, you're a pure pocket passer. You need a clean pocket. Um if they can protect Brady, they can be good, really good, or even better than that. If they can't, then they're going to fall short. Now, if you look at how the Saints have played the Bucks in recent years, the Saints have really got the better of them. Why? Because they generate a really good pass rush, and they break down the Bucks' protections consistently, 
and they've just been a little bit better in head-to-head matchups. Now, the Saints have probably a better overall roster, better defense, uh, good pass rush, uh, got some depth in the secondary, really good team, really good defensive team, good offensive line, although they, although they lost a, a young rookie that was going to be a factor for them, uh, at least in the rotation and the backup uh, uh, on the offensive line. You know, the, the situation with Alvin Kamara is a question mark, a concern, but, you know, assuming he's there for the, for the brunt of the season, got a great back. They now have three great receivers. Michael Thomas is back, Chris Olave from Ohio State, and Jarvis Landry. That's as good a receiving core as they had in several, several years. The issue with the Saints is Jameis Winston. Can Jameis be good Jameis and limit the bad Jameis? Uh, that's probably going to determine it. So it's Bucks offensive line, Saints quarterback, the two question marks. Whoever can answer that the best is probably going to end up winning that division. But in this is another division that I see two and two. Those two teams are the leaders, and then I think Carolina, Atlanta are playing for third and fourth. The Panthers named Baker Mayfield as mm-hmm. their starting quarterback, and that'll be an interesting. That'll be kind of an interesting uh, watch because. He's definitely got a chip on his shoulder after what took place in Cleveland. Not happy about that. And uh, he he won the job outright from Sam Darnold, who the Bills knocked out in the final preseason game. Question is whether or not uh, their head coach is going to be sticking around next year. He's under a lot of pressure. So I don't know if Matt Rule's going to make it uh, at the end of the year. And they've got a very temperamental owner. Yeah, David Tepper uh, is very temperamental and very involved and um, he's kind of been pushing for quarterbacks. He really wanted to try to make a run at uh, Deshaun Watson before he settled in at Cleveland. So we'll we'll kind of see how this plays out for Matt and the staff and for Baker Mayfield. I think this offense is all about Christian McCaffrey, though. Uh, he is a big-time playmaker, and if he can stay healthy, he can keep that team at least uh, within uh, within range of the contenders in that division for, for at least a stretch. Let's move over to the NFC West. You've got the 49ers, the Cardinals, the Rams, the Seahawks. There have been no coaching changes. There have been, well, I should say that uh, in Arizona, there was a little bit of an offseason controversy uh, with, uh, you know, with a quarterback who scrubbed his social media account and then re-signed an extension, uh, all hunky-dory. But to me, as I look there, the San Francisco 49ers with Trey Lance, I'm hearing that they've got a lot of question marks about him. He hasn't really started that many games, even in college, the last number of years. And I hear they're souring on him already. Well, the Niners have a really good roster. Uh, I worry a little bit some about their offensive line. But just overall, they run the football well. They're well coached on offense. They've got a good running game. They teach the running game very, very well. I think it's pretty good defense, good team good team uh, that is a contender and therefore the quarterback situation is one to watch because there's no question they feel the future is Trey Lance but they're wondering can they sacrifice this year and what if he struggles this year and of course they have been trying to trade Jimmy Garoppolo but they haven't had any takers at the price that they feel is worth worthy of it so they convinced him to stay on at a you might be able to win the job early and if you win it you can get your money back in incentives there wasn't enough of an interest for people to trade for jimmy g 
partially due to the injury that he is coming off of. So he wasn't going to get that big of money. So the best chance to get the money would be to win this job and to play and get all the money back in incentives. So, and yet it keeps the door open. They told him to, if someone is willing to trade for you and you say, well, why wouldn't they, they are not going to trade for him now. Well, what if a team loses their starter, a contender loses their starter between now and the next say four or five weeks? Well, then you've got maybe a potential opening for a trade at that point where a team might be willing to give up more than they would be willing to do today. So all those things factor in. I still think they're a contender. The Rams are good. They're missing some pieces, the depth in some spots, but they're still very good. The Cardinals are an interesting team. Talk about another guy that's under some heat is Kyler Murray. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury, um, I mean, I think that's a little bit of a gimmicky offense with him, and I worry a little bit, can can Watt stay healthy? I, I think those that's a pretty good team. Seattle's the team that I worry about. The quarterback situation's not as good. I think they've, they've kind of fallen off quite a bit, and they look to be the fourth team in that division unless the, the Cardinals crater out, uh, which is a possibility. I predict Pete Carroll will not be the coach next year this time. Oh, okay. The oldest head coach in the league, by the way. I know he is. He, but he looks he great. I mean, he, he's, he does, he's still he doesn't in great look shape. like it. Yeah, and he doesn't act like a guy. He acts like a guy that's like, you know, 55 and a bunch of energy, and he's the oldest coach in the league. Yeah. Coach, but, coach with Bud Grant was an assistant coach on Bud Grant's staff in Minnesota. For, for the younger members of your audience, you're saying, who? The great Bud Grant and the Vikings. Great uh, coach. Great yes. coach. And he was also on – I remember when he was uh, the defensive backs coach for the Buffalo Bills, or the cornerbacks coach, and then he went on to New England. And he kind of got a raw deal at New England. He actually, uh, I thought, did a pretty decent job, but they got the guy they him fired. And, yeah, they get, got Belichick, correct. You know, I remember Pete when he was, uh, you know, folks in the, the Tampa area were – you know, he's a big Monty Kiffin guy, and so he right. actually – Pete uh, worked in the days with the, you know, with, with him, and they they spent a lot of time on. Um, uh, Pete was on uh, Lou Holtz's staff at Arkansas, and you want to go back a ways in the seventies. Oh, that's so, really going back. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think I can I can forgive uh, uh, Pete Carroll for recommending Greg Robinson to be the head coach at Syracuse University. That destroyed the pro to set him back a hundred years. That was a disaster. Not good. In any event, uh, so prediction for that uh, division, I, I, I still think you got to go with the Rams. I think the Niners and the Rams, and then I would go Cardinals, and then Seattle is kind of how I see it. It may give the Niners a little bit of an advantage there. Tough to repeat, and I do think, but I, but I do think the question marks at quarterback are fair, and definitely would put the Rams in a little bit of a you know if you're going to go one one a, I could see the Rams. Uh, Sam Williams winning it. I actually think the Niners have a little bit better overall roster, but I think the Rams quarterback is a little bit more comfortable. So that's that's kind of how I see it. Your take on Kyler Murray? Yeah, you know, I, I think he's mentioned a little bit gimmicky, and I just I'm not a. I think he's a great athlete. Um, it, it's tough for him to make any plays within the pocket with his height. I think he's an average passer. Um, I've got real concerns, and, and I understand that they're they're tied to the hip with the Cliff Kingsbury, so they've got to figure that out. I, you know, they tried to cover up a little bit, but the reality is, not a guy that's a gym rat. 
you know, not a guy that works as hard as they need to, and they put it in the contract, and that became a hullabaloo. And so, well, we pulled it out. I mean, there's a reason why you do it. When you, If you got to sit there and consider putting something in the contract to actually do your job and work at your job, that's a red flag right there. Huge red flag. And I don't know why the team backed down. The team should have come out and said, this is what uh, we want. We want a commitment. We're committing to, to him. We want a commitment from him. And this is what we're putting in. Has nothing to do. I think it was made to be kind of a racial, oh, had racial yes. overtones. PR, PR mask, exactly. Right, you nailed it. Right, you nailed. And it. I would have said, I'm sorry. If I were the owner, I would have come right out and said, we're making a 250 million dollar commitment to Kyler Murray. We expect the commitment back. This has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with anything except commitment and performance. And clearly, everybody around the league knew that. He wasn't exactly the most studious and the uh, the most committed. You know, I look at a Josh Allen, and that that guy off season is training. You know, trains with with uh, Jordan Palmer. He's he's around the team. You got to have a commitment. If somebody makes a commitment to you for that kind of money. You should have. First of all, he shouldn't have even had a problem. He should have said, "I'm committed to it." You stepped up, no problem. But somewhere along the line, it was leaked out. It must have been either him or his agent that that leaked that out. There's no question about it. You put it in the contract, you can't take it back and say, oops, it, my bad, it, we really right. didn't mean it. Uh, it doesn't work that way. You know what? A leopard doesn't change his spots. <laughs> and here's a guy that, you know, for years and years, and there were questions coming out of the draft. I remember he had an interview with, uh, was it Dan Patrick? And he was very just odd and aloof and, and just almost as if he didn't really care. And I think that, Sooner or later, you look at that and say, hey, if we're going to pony that kind of money up, we want to make sure we're getting uh, the proper return on our investment. I'm not a fan of his. I don't think he's going to be a great quarterback. I think he's going to be a bust. That's just my opinion. Let's move to the AFC East. The Jets, the Bills, the Patriots, the Dolphins, the Bills. This just gives me so much joy to say, Chris, the AFC division champs the last two seasons. Yeah, and they're clearly – the premier roster, definitely just keep it in their division for now. They're just, uh, you know, it, it would be a, um, a, a virtual shock if, uh, you know, as much as you can be shocked by anything in the NFL, I'd be shocked if they didn't win it. I think the storyline is where do we go from there? Is, is Can Miami make a run at the second mm -hmm. spot? Or is it it's New England stability and coaching and defense and – can they, you know, can the offensive situation gel enough? I mean, I think that's the key is, and I still think we're dealing with the Jets in fourth place. So it's about, you know, can Miami, who finishes second and is second good enough to get a wild card? Because with seven teams now uh, in each conference, um, and, and so basically what I'm saying is, is Miami made enough moves? Are they good enough? Can they? Can they get there? I think that's a question mark. And then, um, so that's, to me, it's going to be fun uh, to see how it plays out. But it's, to me, it's Buffalo and, and kind of, uh, you know, winning the division and uh, bigger, bigger goals at stake down the road. And curious to see if anybody else can make the playoffs in that division. Well, a few interesting storylines. First, let's start with the Jets. When they did their final cutdowns earlier this week to their 53 man roster, I believe they had seven players they cut that were quickly picked up by other NFL teams. And so the word going around is, are the Jets that inept on talent, uh, uh, um, the ability to judge talent, or are they just so loaded with talent 
that they were able to jettison these seven players. What do you, well, what's your take a, on that? They had a lot of good young players. Now, one of the things that's tricky about um, the whole process of waiving guys, you've got to waive them and you got to get them through waivers. And sometimes you've got to do a little bit better job strategically of right. not necessarily protecting your best guys, but making sure that you've got the right guys that you at least can clear waivers and put back on your practice squad. So I think those are, those are the key things that, um, that looked at me when I looked at the list, but I, I think there's some good players. There's no question that they've, they've done a pretty nice job in the draft the past couple of years, but I do think that, um, um, they probably missed on, on some of the key guys that I think that, that, uh, that they would probably like to have, uh, that they thought they were going to get cleared through waivers, and they didn't. Storyline in Miami, of course, is the addition of Tyreek Hill. There was a long pass in practice from Tua Tangavaloa to Tyreek Hill, and, of course, all the media, all the fans went crazy. Look, Tua can throw the long ball. This is going to be it. Well, I say he can throw the long ball maybe, but what happens when all of a sudden you've got real defensive linemen from an opposing team coming your way? Yeah, well, that's it's part of what you know training camp, and you don't hit no. You just can you only can evaluate what the other aspects, but yeah, it doesn't necessarily translate. We'll see. We'll see what the protections like. They've got really good receiver weapons led by Tyreek Hill, but they've got some real weapons now. They've got to play well up front, um, and I'm curious to see how the defense comes along. So that's going to determine whether they can you know, again, get to that second spot in the AFC East, maybe contend for a wild card. We'll see. They've got playmakers, no question, more than, than New England does. But are they going to be as good at the line of scrimmage? Uh, is Tua going to be? Tua's accurate when he has time. Um, and I'm curious to see how well they're able to protect him and, and how, how well he's able to, to manipulate that offense with a with a bright, young offensive mind that – um, has a good feel for how to utilize the passing game and, you know, work, work the layered passing system and work with quarterbacks. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. When we look at the Patriots, Josh McDaniel becomes, leaves his offensive coordinator, the Patriots becomes head coach with the Raiders. And Bill Belichick brings in a special teams coach, Joe Judge, and Matt Patricia, former defensive coordinator and, of course, failed head coach with the Detroit Lions, to oversee offense, and they have never done that before. Mac Jones, in year two of his development, Josh McDaniels did, a, I think, an excellent job with Mac Jones last year. But from what I hear and from what everybody, all the reporters and beat reporters are saying, their offense is an absolute disaster. Well, they, they definitely didn't put up good numbers in the preseason. Here's the thing. You have to, people have to understand for good or bad, whether you like it or don't, Belichick grooms all of his coaches. So it's, you know, Belichick's not going to go out and hire some name guy that's a coordinator. They, Josh McDaniel was a young intern that he groomed and, and groomed into a guy that became the head coach of the Broncos and then came ultimately back to New England and, so Matt Patricia is back. Why? Because Matt Patricia is probably the brightest guy. I mean, you're talking about a – we talk about rocket scientists. This guy literally is a rocket scientist. I mean, that's Correct. literally um, – no one really understands offenses better than a defensive coach because they go against him. Now, does that mean he's the right play caller? 
I don't know that he is. Or bringing guys back that are familiar with how Bill does it and what Bill wants. Bill teaches the offense. Bill teaches the defense and the special teams. So he grooms guys that are around him that can do it. So you see him bring guys back, and you see him bring guys that are familiar with Bill, but you don't see him bring in other guys from outside that have a big position or a title position. He teaches everybody. So the the whole issue is just going to be, can Bill get these guys comfortable with calling plays, relaying plays, and however they're going to do it? That's Bill's way. And he didn't need to do that with Josh McDaniels. But you know what? He did have to do that when Josh was first there. Um, The biggest difference that the Patriots have now is that they don't have Tom Brady. And so that's the biggest difference. You know, you throw Tom Brady in and, you know, they're, they're probably still, you know, they're right in the mix there with Buffalo. It's just it's different now because names have changed. Josh has gone on with an upward opportunity and deserves it. But that's that's the reason for that. And a lot of people are, you know, certainly the media there is like, well, what's going on here? we got to do that. We don't know who the – and Bill's not going to – he doesn't care about what the media thinks or says. And – He's got the, you know, the, the, the track record to not have to worry about it. And he'll just kind of laugh it off and say, well, it's a process and all that. And it's going to work or it's not, you know, it's, and that's what it's going to come down to either way, regardless of what people think or feel. You worked under Bill Belichick in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. So obviously you have the inside scoop on that. Moving to the AFC North, the Ravens, the Steelers, the Browns, the Bengals, Certainly Joe Burrow's not going away. Bengals uh, look pretty strong. The Steelers bring in Mitch Trubisky. They, they also draft the quarterback from the University of Pittsburgh who didn't have to travel far after he was drafted to join the Steelers. I think the question, though, is, you know, obviously the storyline all year was with the Cleveland Browns, Deshaun Watson, and also I think with Lamar Jackson, quarterback of the Ravens, going into his fifth year, The Ravens have tried to negotiate with him. He does not have an agent. He represents himself. You look at Josh Allen, he got his deal done. You look at other quarterbacks that were uh, around the same time, were were taken around the same time, they've gotten deals done. We just saw a few days ago that Russell Wilson with the Broncos got a big deal done, and yet here's a guy that is not getting a deal done, and I'm not a big fan. I don't think long-term, I think he's more like a Kyler Murray, but... The Ravens are committed to him, but I don't think there's the commitment from the other end. Well, it takes two sides to make a deal. I always get a kick out of it when people say, well, when is fill-in-the-blank team going to get the deal done with this guy? Well, I don't know. That's both sides because it takes two sides to do a deal. Um, I know they've, they've worked on the negotiations, and it apparently hasn't gone very far, and it looks like we're going to table it to – season's in um how that plays i don't know as it reflects to this year it puts lamar in a unique spot he can certainly bet on himself and let's see he has a great year let's remind folks um not saying it's going to work out the same way but remember joe flacco wanted some money and he said i'm gonna just you know i'm gonna hold off on the contract they went and they went that's the year they went out won the super bowl that's the year the john harbaugh beat his brother jim in the super bowl and Joe Flacco got the big-time money, and and it really was not someone that was normally in a normal circumstance would have warranted it. But because they won as a team, 
Uh, I think that's what Lamar's doing. Let me go out and have a great year. And then the money that I'm getting now, he's looking at the money. I can tell you what's happening. Right. You want to know why a deal's not done? He's saying, I'm watching. I want to see all these deals come through. And I'm going to go and I'm going to play because the next deal is the biggest deal because the rising tides raises all ships. So he's saying, I'm just going to hold out one more year, and then I'm going to have all the leverage because then I can have Baltimore, I can have other people, I can do whatever. The, the risk is what if he doesn't have a good year? What if he's injured? What, you know, I, but he feels it strong enough in himself that he's going to let it play out. Still think they're a really good team. I think Pittsburgh will be good defensively. I think Kenny Pickett will eventually get the – uh, starting job, um, but Trubisky may win it. Uh, I mean, you know, they're, they're obviously we'll see how that plays out. The Bengals are really good. You know, the Browns with Deshaun Watson are a different team than without him. So uh, it's a division that if Deshaun was available all year long, and we know why and all of that, then I think that would be a strong case for um, much like a division we're going to talk about in a little bit uh, where all the teams are really, really good. The Browns are still not bad, uh, but the quarterback play is going to be the issue until they get, um, you know, Deshaun Watson is, is a difference maker, obviously. So, uh, I mean, Bengals obviously got to be the lead. Who do you think is going to come in second there, the Ravens? No, I, think, I think, it's, it, think it's Pittsburgh and the Ravens pretty close to the Bengals. I think the Bengals will be good. I think you could make them favorites, but maybe just slightly ahead of those two. All right, let's move to the AFC South. We've got Lovey Smith, the new head coach for Houston. We've got the Titans, the Colts, and then the Jacksonville Jaguars, obviously, with Doug Peterson, who was brought in after a very interesting offseason coaching carousel and certainly an interesting year with uh uh with a coach who they would absolutely love to forget that they wish they never even heard his name uh, in urban meyer but peterson obviously has the experience but doesn't have a lot of weapons so the question is is it again the titans and the colts and everybody else i think it is i think the titans are really good solid physical football team mike verbal does a nice job Obviously, got a great back, solid offensive line. Um, they've got some big receivers. They're they're big physical team, and I think they'll be in the mix with Matt Ryan. I'm most curious in this division to see what Matt Ryan can bring to the Colts and how good they can they be. And you know that that's going to be the real threat. Houston, I think Lovey will do a pretty nice job, um, but they're they're a roster. Their roster is quite a ways away. I think Jacksonville clearly with Doug Peterson is going to be better. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to get better. They're putting better personnel around them, but it's still a, a slow build. Uh, but I could see them maybe getting, you know, challenging and maybe winning a few games this year, maybe even as many as Houston. That's going to be interesting, but I see it as a two-team race and the other two kind of battling to get as close to 500 as they can. All right, let's move into the AFC West, last but not least. Certainly a loaded division, and now you got Russell Wilson signs a five-year, $245 million deal, $165 million guaranteed. So he's going to be uh, in Denver for the foreseeable future. You've got the Raiders now with a new head coach, Josh McDaniel. You've got the Chiefs who aren't going away, and then you've got the Chargers. So that is one of those divisions where anything can happen. It's a loaded division. I mean, really, really good. You've got the Chiefs that have been there, and – uh, been been very successful and what a great game them and uh, you know the the Bills and what, what just just 
just really, I would put the Chiefs in that elite category with Buffalo. Just outstanding quarterback, weapons, you'll lose Hill, but they've got, you know, good coaching, just really, really good football team and um, really good roster. I think the Chargers are a really good team. I am a little concerned about their head coach and his propensity analytically to do some things that are – I'll just say baffling, and then just leave it at that. Um, I, just some things there that concern me about can they maximize under Brandon? I hope so. I hope I'm wrong there because I think the quarterback is great. I think they've got weapons. They've got two good edge rushers. I think that's a really good team. Um, and then Denver has got a really solid roster. I mean, I think they've got some pieces to be able to run the football pretty good defensively. Uh, Russell Wilson makes a difference. Um, and, and look, the Raiders are going to be better. They're having to clean up some of the ills from past decisions that they've made with the previous GM uh, and head coach. Um, they're not a bad team. I, it just in that division, I just can't I can't put them any place other than fourth. But yet, it's a it's a it's a good team that it, let's say Denver struggles a little bit. I could see the Raiders. I mean, I could look at the Raiders and say, man, in any other division. I mean, you put them in the NFC East, they might win the division. I mean, you, you know, they're, they're really not bad, but it's a really good division. And, I mean, I see all of those teams as teams that have playoff pedigree, but, but they, they're all not going to make it. But I just I think, it's, I think they're really good teams in there. And I, but I think, to me, it's Kansas City, the Chargers, until I see better work from the sidelines. Uh, but I think the Chargers can contend. Then I think Denver. Then I think the Raiders. That's kind of how I see the West. Uh, but just really excited about how that's going to play out. Well, it all begins next Thursday. The Bills at the Rams. And there's some other good games as I'm looking at in week one. Pittsburgh-Cincinnati, great uh, division rivalry there. We've got uh, New England-Miami. That's going to mm-hmm. be an interesting storyline right there. Baltimore and the Jets. Uh, let's see, Kansas City, Arizona. Talk about two quarterbacks. That should be interesting. The Raiders and the Chargers. That's mm-hmm. going to be Sunday. That's a, in the uh, a national slot, the 4 o'clock slot. And then you got Green Bay, Minnesota, Tampa Bay, Dallas, and then Denver, Seattle, where Russell Wilson goes back to where it all began, the Seattle Seahawks. So some great storylines in week one. Chris, you have been uh, so generous uh, giving us your time with our college football preview last week and the NFL this week. I'd like to turn the tables a little bit and let you talk about LandryFootball.com because you have an exceptional website. Go ahead and tout your great website. Well, we appreciate that, Dave. It's, uh, we're really proud of it. And, uh, you know, your, your guy Steve is kind of the brainchild behind the scenes that helped put this together and make this go for some time. But we take the game of football and we kind of present it from a coaching and scouting perspective for the fans. So if you like the college game, the pro game, you like everything from recruiting to the draft and free agency, um, you want to get the game breakdowns before the game, after the game, what we see inside the film room, we give you a coaching and scouting perspective. It's like having your own 
scouting department, coaching department, uh, and you're an owner for less than a magazine subscription. So that's what we provide for you there. Um, if it involves players, teams, coaches, schemes at the college or NFL level, uh, you're going to love LandryFootball.com because that's what we provide for you. Um, and then, you know, we got all the podcasts and everything that we go along with it to kind of uh, buttress up what we do with the website. So it's great all year long because football never stops, but there's nothing quite like football season. We always say recruiting and the draft and free agency are all integral parts of the calendar year that lead to right now, kicking it off. Who's good, who's not good. So who wins, who doesn't, it's going to be a byproduct of what you've done in the offseason as well as during the season that leads up to it because it's like, you know, eating the meal. You can go down in there and, and eat it at a restaurant, but, you know, there's some lot of people in the kitchen that have put it together, shop with the groceries and uh, simmer it and make it taste all good for you. This is what we're getting ready to do, to have our football feast for several months now. And if you enjoy wagering on college or pro, you break down in the film rooms all the various games yes. and, and various big matchups. I'm looking right here. You've got a film room uh, game preview, Oregon, Georgia. So that could be uh, that is that's interesting. You've got the Pac-12 games, the Big Ten. So give us an idea of your week, Chris, because I know that in the uh, Landry Football Command Center, you've got what like 30 monitors. You're watching everything <laughs> on weekends. Yeah, we got I got uh, I got six that I monitor and have all the other games taped, so I can watch six games at one time, monitor it, look at it. Then obviously you know, that's what we do on the Saturday Sunday portion. Uh, and really the early part of the week is more about recapping the games. What happened? What does the film say about the games on Saturday and Sunday? And so Monday and Tuesday, most of the day is about recapping that. And then there's kind of the switch late Tuesday to Wednesday towards this weekend's game. So taking what you saw on film the past week and what is about to come this week and to preview it. And then uh, the weekends of games take place and we do it all over again. So that's, that's the routine uh, for the foreseeable future through the college and NFL season. And you've got a great football season sale on right now. 12 months, 50% off, $69.99 to access everything on Chris's uh, LandryFootball.com site. And also your social media, your YouTube, Facebook, Twitter there. I know you post there as well. And also something it's interesting because you've got another division called Landry Football Operations where you actually consult various pro teams in college and assist in, in, uh, in coaching searches. So you've really got not only are you doing it on the analysis point, uh, point of view, but you're also in it you know, with uh, teams and with college uh, programs. So you are really uh, totally immersed in it all the way. Yeah, absolutely. And we try to take uh, a lot of the things that we're allowed to discuss to give fans a little bit more of an insight of what's going on behind the scenes in the game. So, yeah, coaching searches towards the end of the season. And, you know, you just mentioned Nebraska's situation. If there is one, uh, a lot of what might take place there to understand the process there and who the candidates might be, who might be interested, who might not, all those things we kind of take you through and um, certainly the coaching and scouting consulting we do for college and NFL teams is kind of the main portion and one of the things we try to do is what can we do for the fans to give them a little bit of a peek 
behind the curtain as to uh, the view from a coaching and scouting perspective. So that's how LandryFootball.com was born. We're really proud of it and like to continue to try to grow it and um, uh, hope the fans come in and check it out. As as Dave mentioned, we've got a football season sale. If you want to just try it out for a month, you can do that as well. So whatever is – as we like to say, again, if you like football, you're going to love LandryFootball.com. However you like to consume the sport, fantasy football, uh, gambling aspect, just learning more so that you can have a better feel for what you're watching, that's what we're here for. And if you learn enough and, and you get on the radar, Chris may actually recommend you for a college or NFL head coaching job somewhere down the line. You never know. There you go. There you go. All right. We, we that is uh, Chris Landry, LandryFootball.com. 50% off sale, $69.99. You get access to the entire website. Trust me, I'm on it right now, loaded with information. Chris, as always, we thank you for joining us for our college football preview last week, our NFL preview. Let's plan on talking middle of the season, mid-season update, and see where things stand. That sounds great. Look forward to it. Enjoy the start of the season, and we'll talk soon. Sounds great. That is Chris Landry, LandryFootball.com. That'll wrap it up. Cigar Dave, the general, saying, Mayor Humidor, always be full. Mayor Cutter, always be sharp. Mayor Ashby, extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio, always pleasure. Long live the alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Have a fantastic and safe Labor Day weekend. Go Bills. Live it up.